Hello, welcome to Podcast 23 of Help with Parkinson's. We have our regular guest, Dr. Subramanian, movement disorder specialist from Hershey Medical Center. And today we'd like to welcome Sean Kingsley, who will give the perspective of a person who has his grandmother in a nursing home facility. And I'm your host, Warren Butfinick. Both of you, welcome to our show. Hi. Um, thanks, Warren, again for inviting me. And Sean, welcome to the show. Thank you. Okay, what the, this is the third part of our series on different things that can go wrong or things you have to be vigilant at in healthcare facilities. And this, this one is about nursing homes and long-term care facilities. Sean has a, a unique perspective on this because he has a grandmother that is in a nursing home, and he had some experiences that even though she didn't, doesn't have Parkinson's disease, you can still take what happened to him and use it as part of your your mission to make sure your loved one is as safe as possible. Sean, you want to go over just a quick overview of what what happened with your grandmother? Sure. Um, first to specify that uh, for numerous reasons, um, her immediate children couldn't take power of attorney and care of her due to their busy lives. So taking power of attorney of her and getting involved in her healthcare was a learning curve that is still going on. So new to the whole um, medication research and, you know, just monitoring situations. It was a uh, pretty risky moving forward with it, but we did it anyway. So when her condition got bad enough where she couldn't live on her own, she's in her mid eighties. Uh, we had her admitted to a, a facility and at that facility, her symptoms were treated, you know, individually with different uh, types of medications. And as things kind of kept going forward, um, it turned out that she was having adverse reactions to certain medications while other medications were doing really well. And trying to balance that out with the doctor um, became a very serious learning curve on my end of trying to navigate what I should be agreeing to and what I shouldn't be. But most of the time, you really just want to trust the facility that they're at to understand what the best move is. So when her, um, when the different medications that she was on end up having adverse effects, we kind of took a step back and realized that a lot of people in that facility, there was, everyone had good intentions. And it seemed that the nursing staff was overburdened quite a bit and that uh, there may not be enough attention to each individual person 24 hours a day. So when we would go to visit her, we found that she was having reactions that we would know from her personality that most people wouldn't because they've just met her within the last six months. So when it got bad enough, we uh, pulled her out, brought her to another facility um, where the mix of medications ended up becoming a little bit better for her to adapt to. So, I suppose the lesson from it was uh, trying to monitor side effects of medications and trying to fine-tune these medications so they can apply themselves more aptly to the dementia and the uh, Alzheimer's that she had, which obviously is you know different than Parkinson's. But it became kind of a minefield of not really fully understanding what was going to be the best move and trying to take a chance to see what was going to work out the best. And it turned out that you know, where she is now, things are going much better. And we think we have a better plan for her, uh, for her medications and for her long-term health. Good. So thank, thanks for giving such a personal story, Sean. Yeah. And, uh, thank you. That's a very nice and very touching story. Thanks for sharing that with us. Right. So Dr. Sure. Sue, how much of this, uh, let's say out of a uh, hundred patients in, in a long-term care facility, how many patients out of that hundred actually have, a problem in nursing homes? Is it, is it a huge problem or is this is kind of a unique thing, but you have to stay vigilant all the time? 
Okay, that's a good question. Um, I don't have specific statistics for Parkinson's disease, but uh, let's look at the story uh, at a slightly different angle and see how we can relate to most of the Parkinson patients who ended up, um, for one reason or the other, in a nursing home or uh, extended care, long-term living situation. Um, first off, uh, I need to make a disclaimer that vast majority of Parkinson patients do not end up in long-term care, do not end up in nursing homes. Uh, vast majority of Parkinson patients live in their homes uh, until the very end, uh, are able to function a pretty decent clip uh, on their own and have caregivers who are able to support them, usually family members. If not, others are able to care for them. So the probability of any given Parkinson patient in this day and age uh, ending up in a very uh, terminal situation in a nursing home uh, for very long periods of time is very slim, very low. So uh, that's the first disclaimer we want to we wanna make. But having said that, for those who end up in that situation, we do need to talk about what are the things that can go wrong and why would they be there. So let's talk first about what are the reasons why a Parkinson patient may end up in a nursing home or in a long-term care facility? The commonest reason is not Parkinson's-related disability, but disability related to other diseases. So, for example, if you have significant arthritis, significant heart disease, this significant lung disease, or significant other illnesses that are what we call comorbidities, those are the illnesses that accompany Parkinson's disease, then that may be a reason why you cannot live independently anymore. Now, in Sean's example, dementia was a reason. So again, 40% of Parkinson patients do develop dementia. Although the dementia in most Parkinson patients is mild, it's readily treatable and easily redirected. However, if it gets to a point where they can't live anymore by themselves, they are so bad that they're hallucinating bad enough, they are delusional bad enough, they're confused bad enough, they can't live independently, then it may be important to try different medications. If those medicines fail, they end up in the hospital. Now, Sean brought up a very interesting example, and this is probably the, the commonest example in Parkinson patients, and it's also true for other forms of dementia, Alzheimer's, uh, vascular dementia, whatever, is urinary tract infection. UTI, urinary tract infection, for reasons that are not entirely clear, will rapidly make a patient who is doing well not do well. What do I mean by that? If they are independent, they are functioning, they are able to do everything, they take the medicines on a time, a tiny amount of urinary tract infection will suddenly make them deteriorate to the point that they can't take their care of themselves, they're confused, they become more uh, delirious, uh, they start having more hallucinations. In a previous show, we had talked about this, and one of the reasons we think although we're not sure, but we speculate at this point, is that the bugs that, that cause infection in the urinary tract, they release toxic material. And some of these toxic material enter the bloodstream, and these toxins appear to stimulate the part of the brain that cause confusion. Um, they also allow the blood-brain barrier, which is a little barrier between the bloodstream and the brain, to open up, allowing things that normally don't enter the brain to enter the brain. And this then causes problems. And one of the things that enter the brain when you have a urinary tract infection is ammonia. 
So blood ammonia levels, when they elevate, it causes confusion. And many of the listeners may relate to it because you probably know people who have had renal failure, kidney failure, will become confused. And that's because ammonia levels go up and the blood urea nitrogen enters the brain, causing problems. But we think that may be the reason why uh, many older folks who get urinary tract infection become confused. Now, that is a common problem, very common problem in nursing homes. And sometimes it goes unrecognized, which is unfortunate. So what are the things that uh, a caregiver, a Parkinson caregiver, or uh, a loved one should keep in mind? If somebody is doing relatively well, and they have a functioning really well, and they suddenly deteriorate, suddenly things change overnight. Today they were doing good, tomorrow you suddenly see that they're totally confused, then you think infection, infection, infection. You always put that in your top of your head. And urinary tract infection, especially in older women, is extremely common. And there's a good reason for it, why women are more at risk for urinary tract infection than men. It's because women during childbirth, they have lots of bodily changes in their vagina and the urethra, the last part of the urinary tract which allows urine to come out. And oftentimes during childbirth, there is stretching of that area. When it stretches, the collagen ligaments that support the urinary urethra uh, become loose. And when you get older, when you get to the age of 80, 80 plus, uh, there is a chance that small bugs that are living in the uh, perineum, uh, private parts, they can accidentally get into the urinary tract and cause a urinary tract infection. So pelvic hygiene, hygiene of the private parts, uh, frequent cleaning and keeping it very dry, uh, but at the same time, uh, not too dry, is also important. And this can be missed. Now, many nursing homes do a very good job of taking care of the, uh, their clients, uh, making sure the hygiene is good. They give them showers, clean their private parts. But sometimes uh, slippage happens and the urinary tract infection happens. Now, if they do get a urinary tract infection and the urinary tract infection is detected, it's very readily treatable with antibiotics. And when you treat them with antibiotics, they usually go away. Now, many nursing home doctors are vigilant about it. They look for it. They do periodic testing. And they also check the lab levels and so on and so forth. And if there's a hint that the patient is not doing well, we definitely need to check for infection. And urinary tract infection seems to be a very common uh, problem. Another common infection is uh, walking pneumonia. Uh, people in, uh, in the nursing homes are more vulnerable for pneumonias. And for two reasons. One, they are among a lot of sick people, older people. And therefore, if one of them gets it, it's good possibility the community-acquired pneumonia can go from one patient to another. They're also vulnerable, vulnerable to the flu or the common cold. Uh, and therefore, it's a very good idea for nursing home dollars to get the pneumovax, the pneumococcal vaccine that prevents pneumonias, and also every year get the flu shot so that they can prevent uh, flu from occurring. But these are good reasons why there is rapid deterioration of patients who are in nursing homes. And again, the example that we just talked about is infection, urinary tract infection, pneumococcal infection of the lungs, and finally, the common cold or the flu. 
Now, before I change topics, I want to make sure that Warren and I are, we're going in the right direction. We're talking about this. I want to next talk about medication noncompliance or not getting medicine on time. Uh, Warren, you have any thoughts before I jump to the next topic? Yeah, I think another serious issue is falls. Right. We'll get to the falls, but I want to address the medication uh, dispensation in nursing homes, uh, which right. is another co- common problem. Right. And, and then, then we can get to false after that. Is that, is that okay? Right. And, then, and the, being that the hospital stays, like we said last time, was three days to a week. Right. It, it's months and years in nursing homes, so you, you want to catch them right. before they get out of hand. Right. Sean, you had any comments about uh, the infection um, uh, issues that I brought up? I do. I mean, the learning, learning experience that came for me from the entire experience um, – I guess I'd be curious to know how would you be able to define or see early signs of a urinary tract infection from an outsider's point of view with somebody who has advanced dementia that maybe can't, can't explain their physical condition or can't explain where things hurt or, you know, get easily confused because that's what happened in our case, you know, was taking symptoms that looked like dementia was advancing when in fact it was the UTI. So how would we be able to detect that earlier when they're so, I want to say so far gone, but so advanced in the dementia that, it's really hard to kind of draw that line between what they see as real and what's not. Right. That's a great question. It's a very, very good question. So uh, let's go over that briefly before we jump to the um, next topic, which is talking about medication. So how would a person who is significantly demented uh, be uh, evaluated for an infection? Now, again, um, before we get to a demented person, let's think about what would happen in a non-demented. A non-dependent person, typically when you get an infection, you get a fever. And after you get a fever, you also get um, usually bodily aches and pains. Then you have deterioration in your memory. And then when you get more sick, even more sick, what we call sepsis, where the bug is already entered into your bloodstream, then you become um, stuporous, confused, and eventually going to a coma if you don't get treated. Now, in an elderly person, these reactions are not as robust as in a younger person. The fever response is uh, less regular or less detectable. And the reason why is that the body's immune system is weak and the uh, elderly person does not mount a significant immune response to an infection. Uh, Secondly, uh, confusion is already there. How can you tell if somebody's confused, if they got more confused? It's hard because we already confused and you don't know if they're more confused or not. Third, aches and pains. Uh, elderly people generally have aches and pains anyway. So are they going to complain about more aches and pains or are we going to dismiss their aches and pains because they had aches and pains to begin with? So that's also a problem. So typically, um, the way we assess this is that somebody should know what the baseline is. So if there are caregivers who are well-versed with somebody, um, they can tell whether things have changed. And it's almost like a a mom and an infant. Uh, Moms typically know when an infant is sick. And we as doctors usually always respect what the mom say. If a newborn is brought to our clinic and says, the child is behaving different, it's not the same, then we kind of take the mom's word for saying that that's always true. Mom is always right. And we have to prove mom is wrong before we say anything that mom is just making up. So typically, we believe the mother. Similarly, in an elderly person in a nursing home, we believe the caregivers. 
The caregivers usually are vigilant. They know the behavior of an individual. They have seen their behavior. And if they start behaving differently, then we have to, you know, kind of pay attention to it and say, hmm, maybe there's something going on here. And one of the things that most nursing home directors are attuned to is an infection. So typically, if they see that the person is more irritable, more sleepy, more confused, um, acting a little strange than before, not recognizing people that they didn't recognize before, or, or inability to remember things, or confusion, or hallucinations, um, or even change in habits, you know, like if they always like to go and do certain things, watch a TV show, they stop watching the TV show, and they're just kind of acting a little bit off kilter, it's usually something that the caregivers can tell. Now, part of the problem that Sean brings up is that you don't consistently get the same caregiver sometimes in the nursing home. You know, there mm -hmm. are people changing and their shifts are changing. So then people just write down stuff on pieces of paper and pass it on. And what is written in a piece of paper never describes the full gamut of what's going on with the subject or a person. So then there's a lack of continuity of care. And this is where some facilities do a better job than others. Some facilities have good handoffs. And so the person who's changing shift is able to tell the other person, aha, this is what so-and-so, miss so-and-so does this, this, and this. And if they're not doing it right, then keep an eye on things. Uh, but there are facilities where people turn over very, very frequently. Uh, there's a caregiver who leaves at the job after two weeks or three weeks, or there are shift changes that are random, and the same consistent caregiver is not the one who's caring for your loved one. Well, this is a problem. And uh, the only way to solve this problem is for family members uh, who know their client, they, they know their loved ones, to be advocates for them. So if Sean knew his grandmother well and what she does and everything, then he would be able to, ah, it's not right. So let's go back and tell the doctor that this is not right. Let's see whether something else is going on. And so um, that would be the way to do it. And of course, we can also do blood tests. You can do urinary tests. There are tests that can be done for infection. Chest x-rays can be done. Um, urine, uh, what we call urine analysis can be done. And look for bacteria, see whether the bacteria is there. You can also take a blood sample and look uh, for changes in blood for infection. But we have to be practical. We can't do this every day, obviously. Um, and we can't be overboard, going overboard and doing these type of tests, x-ray every two hours or whatever. It's not feasible. So we have to use a little bit of common sense, a little bit of vigilance of the caregivers, vigilance of the uh, family members, um, and then an overall just thought that the doctor has built over time to detect infections and detect changes in patients. And this is where uh, partly experience plays a role. Uh, most experienced uh, nursing home directors and nursing home staff can tell when people with uh, advanced dementia change. And so if you are in a trained dementia unit, a place where there are individuals who are well-trained to detect these changes, they are able to pick up this much easier than if you're in a facility which does not have these type of trained people. So uh, it's a combination. It's not a single answer. But I hope uh, the listeners here, and Sean, I'm sure you would agree, get a gestalt of what things need to happen. Yes, absolutely. Obviously, the, uh, the issues are very subtle and something we need to pay more attention to before going down the wrong rabbit hole. That was very informative. Thank you. Yeah. 
so I want to chat about the next topic, which is the idea of giving medication on time. So one of the things that we have emphasized in our previous shows is about Parkinson patients getting their medications on time. Now, we mentioned in the last show about medication uh, timing change that could happen when they are admitted to the hospital for a short stay. So if a Parkinson patient was unfortunately involved in a road traffic accident, had uh, some minor injuries or some major injuries, needed to be hospitalized to be observed for the next two or three days. Okay, during that time, the medicine was not given on time. The medicine we're talking about is the typical Parkinson medicine, carbidopa, levodopa, or Mirapax, or Requip, or any of the other medicines that we normally insist on being given at a certain time. Well, it's even more important that these medicines be given on time in somebody who's in a nursing home or in a long-term care setting. Because unlike the acute situation, here we're talking about chronic, meaning patient is there for several weeks, sometimes months at a time. Now, if you don't give medicine consistently on time, then you're going to have variability of responses. So for example, if a patient is supposed to get their medicine at 8 o'clock in the morning, 12 noon, 4 p.m., and 8 p.m., so there's cyclical daily routine is 8, 12, 4, and 8. Now, in a nursing home, um, each client is catered to not by one person, but uh, one uh, nurse or caregiver is, in, in, is responsible for 10, sometimes 12, sometimes even 20 clients. So what happens at the time when the medicine is to be given is that they, they put every, all the medicines that need to be given in a cart. It has numbers, patients' names, and their little cups or little dispensing devices in which the medicines are there. And the nurse or the caregiver or whoever is dispensing the drug, the pharmacy assistant, they take the cart and go room to room. They go to one room, uh, Mr. So-and-so, Mrs. So-and-so. Uh, they give the medicine there. Then they go to the next room and give the medicine there, et cetera, et cetera. So as you can imagine, if one person is giving medicine to 20 people or 15 people, by the time they come to room number 10 or room number 12, it's already past several minutes, you know, 45 minutes or 50 minutes. So if they started rounds at 8 o'clock giving out medicine, by the time they get to room number 10 or room number 12, it's already 8.45 or 9 o'clock. So nursing homes do have the leeway of plus or minus one hour. So if their cycle starts at 8 o'clock, they do have the flexibility of starting at 7 or, or finishing up by 9. So 7 to 9 is their window. Now, this does not work in the case of Parkinson's disease because we all know, and we've talked about this a lot in previous uh, uh, podcasts, that Parkinson medication need to be given exactly on time. So 8 o'clock is 8 o'clock. 8.05 is kind of late. 8 8.10 is even more late. And 8.20 or 8.30 is definitely late because the half-life of these medications are very, very short. And if you delay giving the medicine, then patients don't do well and they will become vulnerable to falling, which uh, Warren brought up. Um, and falling can be extremely bad if you're in a nursing home because it can set you back by, you know, months and sometimes years because it takes a while for you to heal, etc. So in this setting, one of the important things that family members and caregivers need to be aware of is to educate 
the nursing supervisor and the nursing staff as to when the medicine needs to be given for Parkinson patient and that it should not be delayed. So then you might ask, well, doc, that's all great. How are we going to do this if one person has to give medicine to 20 people? Somebody has to get the medicine late. Not everybody can get it at the same time. And that's correct. Everybody cannot get the same time. But most of the time in a nursing home, not all 20 people have Parkinson's disease. Only maybe one or two individuals among the 20 that the nurse is dispensing the medicine has Parkinson's disease. And all they have to do is to start with that patient. So they're taking the card out and room number 10 has uh, Mrs. X who has Parkinson's disease. Instead of starting in room number one, they should go first to room number 10, give that person their medicine, and then come back to room number one to do one, two, three, four, five, six, and so on and so forth. It's a very simple adjustment. It just means that the nursing staff have to walk another 200 yards to 300 yards to go give the medicine to the individual who needs to be given the medicine on time and then come back and do it on, other, on the others. So it's a very simple adjustment. It is not a very difficult thing to do. But if the staff is not knowledgeable, the nursing staff does not know that the medicine needs to be given on time, and they still use the rule, which is to say, hey, we have plus or minus one hour, so we're just going to give it between that plus or minus one hour, uh, which technically, from a nursing home standpoint of view, is perfectly fine. And the governing boards of nursing homes and the regulations do give that leeway. So they'll say, well, we're, we're following regulations. We're following the uh, letter of the law. But that's not helpful for your loved one because your loved one needs to get the medicine on time. And the only way you're going to achieve this is if the nursing staff become vigilant, they become knowledgeable, and they say, yes, we'll do it. And one other step that is, needs to be done in order to get this done is for the doctor to write an order. So oftentimes, if the doctor doesn't write the order, and it can't be your Parkinson doctor, because Parkinson doctor is not the one who's caring for your loved one in the nursing home. It has to be the nursing home doctor, somebody who can write an order that the nursing home staff will follow. So the nursing home doctor can write an order saying that medication need to be given exactly at this time. And he can specify 8 o'clock is 8 o'clock, 12 o'clock is 12 o'clock, or she can specify and say, these are the times that needs to be given. So if this is something you notice that some days that you go to the nursing home, your loved one is doing well. And some days when you go to the nursing home, they're not doing well. Well, you need to become suspicious that the medicine is not being given on time. And that's the first indication that things are not consistently happening. Um, and then you should bring this up and ask, what time was the medicine given? And as Sean gave a great example, if your loved one has a little bit of dementia, well, then they won't be able to tell when they got their medicine either. So it'd be important for you as caregiver or somebody who's responsible for uh, the, your loved one, um, actually be vigilante. You know, actually go and look and see what time was the medicine given. Look at the notes or ask the nursing staff to say, hey, what time was this dispensed? Um, and, you know, and some other way for us to verify that the medicine was actually given on time. Okay, um, Warren, I want to pause here for a second uh, just to get your thoughts and comments about uh, what we spoke so far, uh, especially about medication compliance and how that might influence uh, 
uh, our loved one's behavior in the hospital, especially with, with the situation in Parkinson's medication, which needs to be given on time. And perhaps you can make a comment and then uh, Sean can also um, uh, give his opinion on what he heard so far. Sure. Sure. They, they found that educating the, nurse, the nursing staff on Parkinson's medicine, especially the carbidopa, levodopa, has cut down on a, a lot of problems that could occur by incorrect dosing. And when I say incorrect dosing, I don't mean bad medical dosing. I'm talking about not giving the medicine on time and not looking for side effects and not knowing what to look for for side effects. That uh, they could actually decrease the number of falls a patient has by being more familiar with the medication. And uh, that's, that's very important, at least as far as I, I would research for this podcast. That's probably the number one thing you could do is educate the staff on Parkinson's medication, especially carbidopa, levodopa. Completely agree. Uh, I think that's a, a very common scenario I see uh, in clinical practice. I get referred almost every month um, at least half a dozen patients who come in with uh, incorrect dosing and uh, just simply making their dosing correct makes a tremendous change in their life, uh, perhaps even 50% improvement in the overall outcome. And that's really kind of a stunning uh, statistic when you are able to make the lives of people uh, 50% better by simply uh, changing the timing of when they take their medication. Uh, Sean, you have any thoughts on uh, this, this topic? I do, yeah. It's been very helpful and very informative for me, and I think it would be helpful for anyone who's uh, new to this type of setting, say a nursing home setting or advanced care setting, where you really need to be more vigilant and watching what the symptoms are and catching them early so you don't fall into a uh, a misdiagnosis of what the symptoms are, you know, especially with my grandmother finding the UTI and her, that leading to her confusion. Meanwhile, we were upping the medication for her dementia, thinking that would help the situation when it really just led her to sepsis. So I think it's very important to trust the loved ones that are around you to kind of judge your behavior as well as you judging your own behavior to try and make sure that you're not making that misdiagnosing um, different types of side effects or different types of advanced uh, symptoms that you may be experiencing. So I think it's very helpful. Great, great. Um, so let's uh, sort of wrap up this uh, podcast with just sort of a little summary of what we um, discussed so far. Um, one of the uh, take-home points is that if you have a loved one who is end up in a nursing home or in long-term facility, um, they need to be given their medicines on time, especially if they have advanced Parkinson's disease. The timing has to be emphasized with the um, care staff. And if need be, a specific order needs to be put in by the nursing home director or the doctor who's uh, following your loved one, indicating the timing when the medicine needs to be given. And uh, you as a loved one, um, family member who's caring for a Parkinson patient, should be checking to see whether each time you go there and you try to go at a different time, instead of going every Sunday at two o'clock, try to go one Sunday a little earlier, another Sunday go later in the evening, or randomly show up on a different weekday if you can actually make it on a weekday during time, to see how your loved one is doing at that time. As we know, Parkinson's medicine's effects change over time and morning may not be the same as afternoon, and afternoon may not be the same as evening. So having an idea of what happens at different times 
may actually make a huge difference for your loved one. So that's the one thing that I would emphasize that uh, we need to uh, keep in mind. I'm sure uh, listeners here would enjoy the siren that's coming off. It's basically <laughs> Santa making the tour around my uh, house. So uh, it's not that uh, I'm sitting in the middle of a fire or <laughs> there's no fire alarm here, but uh, it's just that um, the fire station and the fire service of the holiday time, they're just going around uh, doing a little bit of, uh, I think, fun with uh, Christmas Santa dressed up on top. And I could see that from my window. Um, it's a it's a very interesting mood, and uh, the other aspect of the uh, story that we talked about today is about um, how you need to be vigilant about uh, changes, acute changes. So, people in nursing home, long term care facility with Parkinson's disease, they are relatively stable. Parkinson's is a disease, along with other dementing illness like Alzheimer's, which Sean's grandmother had are stable diseases that don't suddenly abruptly change. So overnight, nothing happens. Over a two-day period, nothing happens. Usually changes happen over a long period of time, several weeks, sometimes months. So if things are happening rather rapidly, rapid, happening quickly, then we should always think about infection. Urinary tract infection is a very common problem. Um, walking pneumonias are a common problem. Uh, and it's important that uh, people who are in nursing homes uh, get their flu shot, get their pneumovax. Um, they are also having good hygiene in the private parts to make sure that they don't get an infection. These are important things to keep in mind. So I think that gives a rough idea of what are the things, some of the ideas. I'm sure there are lots of other issues that happen in nursing home, but we want to touch upon a few of the key ones. Um, I hope we can wrap this up here. And uh, do you have any parting thoughts here, Warren, before we finish up? Yeah, uh, you could you could tell me if I'm, over-exaggerating on this, but to me, the things I would worry about if I had a loved one in a nursing home would be you come up with, your, pay, your loved one has insomnia and they end up giving a pill for it. Then they get dizzy when they get up with the orthostatic hypotension. They give you a medication for that. Then they get hallucinations. You, uh, they get medicine for that, pain medicine for that. And all the time, it could just be getting the right dosage schedule on the Parkinson's meds. Is absolutely that- absolutely right. I think this is a very common scenario because nursing homes and nursing staff are used to symptomatic treatment. And I think the examples that you gave, insomnia is one good example, or leg edema, or swelling of the leg. Oh, there's a little bit of swelling. Let's give a little bit of Lasix. And next thing you know, they become hypotensive because their blood pressure is already low and you give Lasix and they become hypotensive. They end up coming to the hospital for that. Many other examples, and I think some of the examples you mentioned are exactly right on, on, on the money because symptomatic treatment, um, which is what nursing staff are attuned to, um, may not be the right thing to do. And again, taking medicine on time is often the solution um, rather than just symptomatic um, you know, uh, respite, uh, temporary respite. Now, again, temporary respite for a day or two, probably okay. But when the temporary respite uh, continues for months, that's when people get into trouble. Okay. And Sean, if you want to just have a quick last word, since you're, you're the first time we, or second time we had a guest. No, I, this has been very educational. I think it's very important information for anyone going into uh, any advanced level of any of these diseases to know because it's, it was new for me getting involved in such an intimate level, especially with the symptomatic treatment you just discussed. 
because that becomes a, a very paranoid level when you're making decisions for a loved one to say a power of attorney or whatnot, such as I am, are you making the right decision or not? Like you said, you know, pulling yourself back and realizing that maybe this dosages just aren't being given at the right time. So Good. how do you know when you're going to allow something to get out or come back? But yeah, just being vigilant, keeping notes and, it was a good suggestion of visiting at different hours so you can get a better feeling as to how they are throughout the day. Great. Well, thanks, Sean. Thanks, Dr. Sue. Thank you. Thanks. Bye.